Reading this morning is from Exodus 5, verse 10 to 21. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you a straw. Go and get your own straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall be by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, all of you. It's so good to see you. And I want to take a moment and pray right now. Uh, I want to pray for, we, we thank God for all the moms in this room and all that you go through. We want to pray for you. We also want to pray for the youth ministry. Mark just talked about that. And then also, uh, we've become aware of some, some ways that we can help out with the tragedy that's unfolding in the country of India right now, if you pay attention to the news and uh, how it's being ravaged by, uh, by the pandemic. Uh, right now, worse than any other country uh, with um, people losing their jobs, not enough ventilators, people dying, stuff like that. So we want to take a moment, even though it's far away, to pray for that country. So would you please uh, bow with me and let's unite our hearts in prayer. Lord, how privileged we are to be able to gather with friends today, to gather with this church, to worship you, whether that be those that are participating online or those that are here in person. And we do unite our hearts to praise you and to express our love to you and our gratitude for all of your blessings. We want to take a moment uh, to give thanks for the moms among us. Uh, we give thanks for their sacrifices, and we're so grateful to you. We pray that you would sustain them. We know that many of the moms among us have had an especially difficult year and need strength and endurance. And so we thank you for them, we pray for them. We pray for our youth ministry. We thank you so much for Mark, for all of the adult volunteers that uh, partner with Mark and Amy on Sunday nights to be a part of seeing lives changed among middle school students and high school students. And we pray for all of them as they prepare for camp. We pray for them as they gather tonight. We look forward to what you'll do to continue to change lives. And uh, we unite and continue to pray for Mark's uh, green card to come through. Thank you so much for him. 
And Lord, we often in this church do pray for needs around the world, even though they are far from our thoughts, sometimes far from our hearts, but we're aware that, that people are suffering in places around the world, and specifically India. We pray for, that you would strengthen your people, the church in that country, as they reach out to extend a cup of cold water to those in need. We think of how our church has been given an opportunity out of our Deacon's Relief Fund to provide funds so that a business over there will not have to fire some 20 to 30, 40 women employees, but can keep them during the season and how we can play a small part as your church around the world unites. And we pray for relief for that country of India. We pray for um, uh, the mitigating of the virus, the pandemic there, and we pray for the spread of the gospel and the strengthening of your church. And if today as we uh, break the bread of life, the scriptures, Lord, would you be the one who would change our own hearts this morning? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last night, on, uh, last night Elon Musk hosted Saturday Night Live. Not sure if you had a chance to see that. If you're not familiar with Elon Musk, he's the guy who uh, was the founder of SpaceX. And SpaceX, so all these rockets now we're seeing take off from Cape Canaveral. Uh, he's the founder of that. Uh, he's also the founder of Tesla, so they're working on electric cars and self-driving vehicles and all that type stuff. Billionaire hosted Saturday Night live last night, and here's what he said. He said, uh, I'm the first person with Asperger's to host Saturday Night Live. And he talked about uh, how he was, was raised with Asperger's. And when I look at Elon Musk's life, when I look at all the stuff that he's had to overcome to get to where he is today, with all of his fame, with all of his wealth, to know that he has had, had to overcome some of those things. And so when I, when I look at that story, one word comes to my mind, and it's the word endurance. Standing by Elon Musk's side last night on Saturday, Saturday Night Live was his beaming mother. And imagine thinking back over her life, thinking back of the many years, the many stories of raising Elon Musk to what he is today. And you look at that woman's life and you think endurance. That is the word that you think of when you think of, of her. Endurance and what they have to overcome. That's why this morning, uh, it's Mother's Day in our country and we do appreciate the moms, but even more than that, Proverbs 31 talks about how children praise their mother. They honor their mother. mother. Her, her husband does that. So this for us is not just a hallmark thing. We honor you and we appreciate you. And we know the endurance that's required and what you've had to do and what you go through. So we honor you this morning. But endurance, there are so many stories like Elon Musk. If you go back through history, if you go back through American history and world history, there are all kinds of great stories of endurance, of resilience, of perseverance. But there are few greater stories than what we see in the ancient writings 
of Scripture, specifically in the book of Exodus and in this passage today, Exodus chapter 5. As a pastor, as I relate to many of you in this church, as our elders and deacons relate to you, we know that we are in a season where perseverance is needed, where endurance is needed, where resilience is needed. And I can think of no better story, no better passage of Scripture to go back through all the stories throughout history and go back to the Bible that years ago has, this, has had this theme of endurance and perseverance and resilience. We're going to look at the story of Exodus chapter 5. We're continuing our series in Exodus. You might recall the last three weeks we've talked about the call of Moses and we said, talked about last week how Moses' final three excuses and how God answered those excuses and now they're ready to go. But then we come to this chapter, Exodus chapter 5, and we realize the need for resilience. Now the Bible, the Bible is historical, but the Bible is also very practical for us today. So the way we're going to approach this story that we just read is we're going we're gonna to learn four things about resilience from this passage. Four things we're going to talk about. So here we go. Four lessons about endurance. Four lessons about resilience that we see in this passage. First thing we want to notice is that notice about this passage is that real uh, resilient people have realistic expectations. Resilient people have realistic expectations. Now, what was going on in the story? Well, after Moses was called by God, he went to the elders of Israel. He went to the people of Israel, and they they heard this good news that God was about to deliver them from their bondage and their slavery in Egypt. And that's, that's, that's what they heard from him. And so they gathered together, and had it been a football team, that football team would have been in a huddle, and when they broke huddle, they would have said, one God, one team, one goal, the promised land. And Moses was on a mountaintop because he had this promise from God that he would deliver the people from Egypt. But then he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh denies his request. He says, let my people go, and, the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says he won't do it. And Pharaoh needs to be defeated, but he is not defeated yet. And instead, he increased their load. He increased their, their, their requirements for making bricks. He, re, he, he increased their slavery. Ten times in the book of Exodus, in the Bible, this is called the house of bondage. They were in the house of bondage. So Moses was so excited at first after he had his call. He was on a mountaintop, but they went, then he went down into the deepest valley because it didn't happen the way he expected. Here's something I want to observe that a lot of us are going through right now in our, in our lives, and that is this. Listen carefully. Our lives have not turned out the way that we had planned. Our lives have not turned out the way that we have planned. But resilient people have realistic expectations because we live in a fallen world. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this. The people that were scattered 
that Peter wrote to the church was scattered throughout the Mediterranean world and they were going through persecution. Their lives as Christians did not turn out the way that they had expected. So Peter writes to them and he says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. Don't be surprised. Have realistic expectations because you live in a fallen world. Realistic expectations. A lot of us know about in marriage how there's a honeymoon phase and then there's the phase after that when we go, why did I marry this person? What's required to get through that is endurance. Some of you in, in, your, in your job have started off, started off in your job with very high expectations. You go, this is the greatest job that I've ever had, it's fantastic, and then it takes a turn for the worst, and what you need is realistic expectations. So it starts off all good, then it's all bad, and then we, get, we push through, and we're living in reality. It's not only in marriage that there's a honeymoon phase, it's not only in jobs that there is a honeymoon phase, but it's also true in your relationship with the church, in your relationship with the Christian community. Sometimes people will come into a church and they go, this is the greatest church I've ever found, it is amazing here, but then you have one thing that doesn't go your way, you have one thing that you don't agree with, you have one relationship that is broken. You have one thing that doesn't go the way that you've planned. And so even in your church, there is a honeymoon phase, but then there is another phase where you go, I didn't know it could be this bad, and then you push through that and you start living in reality. So what mature people do in life is they live in reality. That is what resilient people do, is they're not surprised, but they live in reality and resilient people are realistic. Let me talk about the second thing. I've alluded to it. The first thing is that they are resilient people, live in reality. But the second thing is that resilient people persevere through testing. I want you to take a look at verses 10 through 14 as you look at that passage again. Take a look at what's going on here because I want to show this passage. It says, so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Now, here, one of the things you get here is in this passage is that this is historical. This is something that really happened in Egypt. One of the things that's going on here is this is human slavery for economic benefit for Pharaoh. So throughout history, there has been human slavery for economic benefit it happened in America, it's happened in other countries, it happened back here in Egypt. So the evil of slavery in this passage rears its head, and so they were in the house of bondage. They were in slavery to the, to the Pharaoh. Not only that, what was going on in this passage is that the organizational structure of brick making, this is true to history, and so you see these uh, the taskmasters, these were Egyptian taskmasters, that were over the Israelite foremen, and the foremen were requiring the people to make bricks. And so you've even got this, or, this accurate historical organizational structure that is going on. And then you got brick making itself. And the way itself, the way brick making works 
is that it wasn't just the small bricks that we have at our houses today, but bricks were very large bricks, and they would make them from Nile mud, and they would construct all these buildings around Egypt with millions and millions of bricks, and so you can see how important this was to Pharaoh. And the way, they, the, the, the way the bricks were made is it was the Nile mud and it was mixed with straw and then it would give it strength and that's how they made their buildings. And this is documented from archaeology, true story, this is what happens. So you've got slavery, you've got an organizational structure, you've got the making of bricks. So what happens is Moses and Aaron come along and says, let us go and worship. And Pharaoh says, no, you guys are lazy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make you work harder, and I'm gonna, you're going to have to produce more bricks, and you're going to have less straw. In fact, we're not even going to provide you with straw. You have to collect your own shrubs and mix it, but we're not going to reduce the amount of work that you have to do. So they are moved into a series of testing where it is getting worse and worse, and they have to per persevere through that. Resilient people persevere through testing. I want to talk a little bit about that just for a, for a moment. Why do you and I need perseverance? Why do you and I need resilience? We need it because we live in a fallen world. James 1, chapter, two, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now the fact that you and I live in a fallen world, here's how, here's how it works. Here's how God trains us to live in a fallen world according to James chapter 1, 2 through 4, is that he gives us testing to strengthen us, to give us perseverance in a fallen world. So if you look around, if, if you think of, the older people in our congregation, over the course of life, they have been tested many times. When you were tested when you were young, you were tested in your marriage, you were tested in your job, you were tested medically, you were tested by suffering, you were tested by rejection for your faith. As a Christian, you will be tested over and over. If you are in ministry, if you are launching out in ministry, if you're starting any kind of a ministry, Mark McKinney has been tested over and over in youth ministry. In every single occasion, Mark would say, it has been worth it to go through that testing. You will go through testing as a church when you in order to plant a church, in order to grow a church. It will require, it will involve testing and we need perseverance to be able to stand the next test. So perseverance in the Bible or testing in the Bible is redemptive because it produces the perseverance that we need to make it through life. And what, I, what I'm tempted to say is that, that perseverance is the gift that keeps giving, but in a way that trivializes it, because it doesn't feel like a gift. But perseverance prepares us for the next thing that we go through in life. And that's what resilient people do, and that's what's going on in this passage of Scripture. Here's the challenge. Under our first point, what I wanted to point out is that a lot of us in this room, our life has not turned out the way that we wanted. And resilient people have realistic expectations. But here's the second thing. Just pastorally, I want to observe 
because I see it happening in people's lives. When you go through testing, whatever it might be, it might be that you're just saying, I am so over COVID, or I am going through this thing in my marriage, or I am going through this thing in my job, I'm going through this thing in this mission that I used to be so excited about, and I'm getting weary from it, and the temptation for you is to quit. The temptation for you is to step out of the race. The temptation for you is to start to phone it in. You began the Christian life and it seemed exciting to you, but then you hit a test. The temptation for you is to stop following Christ. The temptation for you is to want to go back to your old life. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, one of the things I did because I wanted to think through how to, how to pastorally preach Exodus chapter 5 for what we're going through as, as individuals and as, a, and as a church. I reached out and I conferred with a friend of mine by the name of Mike Glodo. He's a professor at the local seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary. Mike and his wife, uh, Vicki, used to go to our church. They now attend one of our sister churches. And I love talking to Mike because he's, he's just got great stuff on the Old Testament. He teaches it, and I want to learn. I want to make sure I, I can get it right. He, he taught me something that I thought was incredibly helpful about this story. When Moses, we believe that Moses wrote the book of Exodus, but he did not write it for the generation that experienced it because it had already passed. What Moses was doing is he wrote the book of Exodus for the generation that followed. Because when they were in the wilderness, after they had crossed the Red Sea, they continued to go through these testings. And the temptation for them was to quit. The temptation for them was to say, I want to go back to Egypt. And they would idealize their past. Just like we idealized our non-Christian past. We idealized our previous relationships. We idealize what it used to be. So we want to quit. We think the grass is greener. And we want to go back. And we want to quit. And Moses wrote Exodus so that the people of God would press on into the future, they would remain faithful, and they would persevere through testing. So resilient people persevere through testing. That's the message of Exodus chapter five. Now we're gonna really drive it home a little bit deeper because I wanna say a third thing about resilience, and here it is. The third, third thing that we learn from this passage is that resilient people don't turn against each other. Let me say that one more time. Resilient people don't turn against each other. And I guarantee you, when you go through testing in your family, you'll turn against your family. When you go through disagreements, sharp disagreements with your friends, the tendency would be to turn against your friends. When you experience something in the church, the temptation is gonna be to turn against one another. Look at how it happened in this passage because that's what, that's what the people of Israel did. This is what testing will do to you is it'll make you want to find somebody else to blame. Who do I blame for this? It's not going the way I want. I can't, the testing has gotten harder and harder. It feels like more bricks and less straw. Now I've got to blame someone. So look at verse 15. It says, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and they cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given 
to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you're idle, you're idle. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks your daily task each day. So what they're doing is rather than, than, than praying to God, they're appealing to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's not gonna help them. They could have prayed, they failed to love God, they failed to turn to God, but then they also turned against each other. So look at verse 20, it says, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge. In other words, what the, they're actually cursing Moses and Aaron. They are cursing their leadership. They said, the Lord look on you and judge. You see how they're turning against each other. May the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. What they've done, and one of the things we can do is you read the Old Testament, you go, there's a negative model there. There's an error to avoid, and that's what's happening here. They are turning against each other in the midst of the testing, and that is something that resilient people don't do. 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. And all the, ten ten uh, all the tensions in our society at a macro level, what I've noticed is they've filtered into people through social media and through all kinds of means, and there's something in our nature. There is a kind of self-righteousness. There is a need to blame. There is a need to judge. And so what Christians can do is they can form kind of a circular firing squad. And you got this external pharaoh out there, but instead they're shooting at each other and they're hurting each other. I praise God that for the most part, he has protected our church from that kind of circular firing squad but I want to encourage you, I want to, to challenge you to watch out for that in your own heart because there is stuff that won't go your way. Don't blame, <clears throat> don't blame others. There are times when the heat will be turned up. You need to persevere and don't blame others. So that's the third thing is resilient people, they don't blame other people. They don't turn against one another. Final thing that we see about resilience in this passage. It might be tempting, you know, you hear the story of Elon Musk or you learn about athletes or whatever it might be, to think that resilience is something that has its source inside of us as if it involves willpower. But that is not the case. We don't have the strength to live the life that God has called us to. So here's the fourth thing about the Christian view of resilience and about Resilience for God's people, and it's this. Resilient people gain hope from God's promises. They gain hope from God's promises. We didn't go into Exodus chapter six, but at the end of this story, when they turned on Moses and Aaron, Moses cried out to the Lord, and then in chapter six, and I wanna just read to you Exodus chapter six, verse six, it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts 
of judgment. So what, do, what God does is he, he, he reminds them of, of the covenant. He reminds them of the covenant promises and he says, hold on to these promises because that hope is going to give you the strength that you need. I want to talk just for a moment about hope because what we've said is that resilient people get hope from God's promises. What is hope? Biblically, hope is not a hope-so hope. It is a no-so hope. Biblically, hope is a confident expectation of the future. Now, get ready for this. So one of the things that, that hope means is that we remember the future. We remember the promises of God. We remember that God has a finish line. We remember that God is taking us to the promised land. And that is what God is saying to the people of Israel during this time of testing that they are going through. He reminds them of the covenant promises that he ha has for them. Here's something else we can say about hope. Hope means that we believe that our best years are ahead of us. A hopeful person believes that, that in spite of what they're experiencing, that their best years are ahead of them. There is a golden chain of hope in, Revel in Romans chapter five, verses three through five. It says that tribulation brings about or produces perseverance. See again the value of perseverance. It's the gift that keeps giving. It prepares us for life. What tribulation does, it's like a gymnasium. It works you out. It builds your strength and it builds perseverance. And then it says in that golden chain, tribulation brings about perseverance, but then perseverance produces proven character. It is tested character. So that's another thing that happens as you live the Christian life, as you go through tests, your character gets tested. What does it mean for your character to be tested? It means that what's inside of you comes out. It is like a, it's like a toothpaste tube that's being squeezed. You're being squeezed and all this stuff comes out of you and we're tested and we are refined by that. And so we pass the test. People of faith pass the test, and so we have a proven character. Our character is revealed in times of testing. It is also developed in times of testing. That's why testing is so important for us in perseverance. But notice the fourth thing in the, in the chain. First of all, there's, there's, um, there's persecution or suffering leads to perseverance. That leads to proven character. And the fourth thing is it leads to hope. So hope is something that is produced in us. It's not just an intellectual thing. Why are we hopeful? The reason hopeful people are, are, people are hopeful about the future is because they are being changed by God. And it says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. We have a safety net. We have a security. We have a God who loves us and that walks us through that golden chain that leads to a biblical hope and people who are resilient derive hope for the promise, from the promises of God about the future. One more thing I need to let you know about this passage. I said earlier that resilience is not something that we work up for ourselves, but resilience comes from looking to God for it. So one of the things that's going on in this story is that the book of Exodus is the pattern for our salvation. It's the pattern for our salvation. So we have said that the people of Israel are in this, this uh, house of bondage. 
that is described in Exodus chapter five. But did you know that the scriptures teach that while that was local, that was in Egypt, that was Israel, but the Bible teaches that all of humanity was born in bondage to sin. That's part of being in a broken world. And so Jesus said in John chapter eight, the person who commits sin is a slave of sin. And so if you understand what the Bible teaches is that underlying all the issues in this, in this world is this bondage to sin. What salvation means, and we find our salvation in Christ, their salvation was, humanly speaking, in Moses, but we have a greater Moses. We'll hear about that next week when we talk about the Passover. Mike Osborne's gonna be here, and you can look forward to that next week. He's gonna talk about Jesus, the Lamb of God, and Exodus is the pattern for our salvation, and that's where, that's where our hope is. This whole thing, though, about us being in a house of bondage, I want you to notice a verse in a hymn by Charles Wesley called, And Can It Be? In fact, we're gonna sing it right after this sermon. But listen to the words of Charles Wesley as he talks about our own house of bondage, our personal house of bondage. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. He says, I woke the dungeon filled with light, flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I went, I went forth. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Charles Wesley describes how in salvation we are liberated from our own house of bondage. And that, my friends, is the gospel. And that's what we have in Christ in the greater Moses. So there's a finish line. Think about the finish line for a minute. What is it for, for Elon Musk? The finish line for him that, he, that keeps him going is man, uh, a manned flight to Mars and a colony on the moon. So that's what he's living for. That's why he endures things. If you look at his mom, what's the finish line? It's, it's all the things that Elon, Elon Musk has over, overcome. But you and I, are here for something greater. Because it says in Hebrews 12:1, it says, since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, including Moses and the people of Israel and all the people of faith that have gone before us, we are running a race ourselves. And it says that since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes not on Moses, but on Jesus, the greater Moses, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I close with this, uh, this story of, of another race where endurance was required, and it highlights the advantages that we have in the gospel. In the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Derek Redmond of Great Britain was running in the 400-meter hurdles. He had made it to the semifinal round, and in that semifinal race, he was going along strong, and as he passed, though, this final turn, he pulled up short with a hamstring pulled. And rather than fall to the ground, what Derek Redmond did was he started hobbling and hobbling towards the finish line. And at that moment, at that moment, his father, Jim, who was right there in the stands, brushed off security and jumped out of the stands to carry Derek across the finish line with both of them in tears. 
what we have in the gospel today with all the things that we have to persevere in, all the re resilience, is we have a father who has jumped out of the stands in Jesus for us and he's given us the Holy Spirit to carry us through life, to carry us across that finish line. That golden chain of hope is there because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts and we're his children. Would you pray with me? Lord, how true your word is to our lives. Lord, we see a passage that's true to history, more bricks and less straw. But we also see a story that we can relate to. Lord, I wanna pray specifically today for those among us who need your strength, who need to be carried across the finish line. May we be a church who would live that out for each other, that rather than being divided, I pray that we would carry one another across the finish line. For those, Lord, who are tempted to quit, I pray that they would experience the grace of your Holy Spirit, the fact that you as a heavenly Father will bring them to the finish line, that faithful is he who began a good work in you, and he will bring it to completion. We thank you and praise you for that. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.